What I want to talk about today is a passage I've been over a couple different times, and it's really about loving lost people. And uh, to give you a little bit of a testimony background of maybe like the last four years of my life, um, I just want to show you a little bit of how um, loving lost people can sometimes lose its priority in our lives, and um, God can bring that back to us. And um, Really, it's by looking at Jesus' example. And so I was talking to Joe um, yesterday. I'm not going to embarrass you, don't worry. <laughs> um, I was talking to Joe, and I was saying, you know, I think there's like three aspects of NEBC that I really understand now after graduating. Three aspects of my own life and phases I went through as I went through the college. So I'm hoping this will be a little bit of a testimony to you who are students here, is that one, I came from a two-year Bible college, and I was really pumped to see the gospel spread through Vermont, which at the time was the least church state in the U.S. Is it still the least church? Okay. Between New Hampshire, I believe. And I was pumped. I was like, I'm going to go and share the gospel with like everyone I possibly can. I'm going to buy water bottles, and I'm going to walk around with the homeless people, and I'm going to, you know, like all these different things. And I was like, I can make all these different ministries and stuff. So I was pretty pumped when I came here. And then there was kind of phase two. It was when, uh, you know, the homework loads and everything started to pack up. And, uh, you know, I had to start writing papers. Uh, if I really wanted to go out and have fun with people or go out and do these ministry things, not on Sunday, um, it would mean putting my homework to the side and then I would feel like I wasn't being productive and my life became this mess of trying to balance time over and over and eventually everything just became so routine. Do you guys already feel like you're in a routine? Some of you, some of the freshmen may be already there. But I remember uh, just trying to get up at the same time every day trying to go to my class right on time. President Ballard, it was no surprise that I came in last minute to any of the professors here. <laughs> Shuffling through the door with my backpack, set it down, you know, just same routine every single day. And then come back after class uh, to start working on my homework and get it done until 11 o'clock at night. And then boom, the next day starts over and over again. And then uh, the third phase, which I didn't realize till after I graduated NABC, is while wow, looking back, I wish I would have managed my time better. I wish I would have seized the opportunities that were around me in the community. And man, I wonder what it could have been if I really spent more time with God and grew to have the same heart as Jesus and to see um, that passion for lost people in the midst of all that too. And so the reason I say this is because we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 9. I'm just going to give you that out front so there's no surprise where I'm preaching out of. Uh, Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. And it is the call of Matthew the tax collector. Matthew 9. If you're there, we can read through it, uh, starting in verse 9. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called... Ma called Matthew, sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Verse 10, then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, but when Jesus heard this, he said, 
It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So we can see a little bit in this passage that oftentimes Jesus was dealing with Pharisees who were kind of very ritualistic, religious, and very uh, legalistic in many different ways. And, you know, what I love about Jesus is his heart for lost people often broke that routine. It broke out of everything that these, these Jewish teachers and leaders were doing, and it often confused them. But we see the heart of God for lost people and the things that Jesus did in this passage. So before we start getting into it, I'm going to pray and ask God to help us learn um, some more about his love today. Um, dear God, I just thank you for this opportunity to preach uh, your word. Uh, please speak through me today. Please help everyone here to be able to understand and to be able to um, stay focused. And God, that you would just teach us something new. Uh, please fill me with your spirit and help me to say the things you want me to say and not my own opinions. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I'm used to preaching three points to my youth group. <laughs> so we're going to have three points today. We're going to look at three different sections of this passage. The first thing that we want to talk about today is that Jesus looked at people's inner worth or their inner potential, not just their outer lifestyle. So we look at verse 9, and it says, As Jesus went on from there, he just performed a pretty awesome miracle. There was a guy who was paralyzed, and there was not enough room to get him inside the house, so he had to get lowered through the ceiling, and Jesus heals him right then and there in front of the people. The dude picks up his mat and walks away, and everybody's amazed, it says before this. So Jesus comes out of this pretty awesome event, and then immediately we see he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Now, have you guys ever been to like Walmart or something and somebody has like a clipboard going around and they're trying to ask, hey, you wanna sign up for like the new Verizon thing or whatever? And everybody's just kind of like spreading away from them. You know, they say one of the best ways to get people to not talk to you in public is to carry a clipboard around. That's actually it's true. See, the thing is, Matthew was a tax collector, which was uh, someone who was actually pretty hated in the Jewish community um, for a couple different reasons. One, people had to pay them money all the time. Do you guys like paying taxes on things? Raise your hand if you like paying taxes on things. No hands. See, nobody really likes tax collectors in this time. But another thing was the Jewish people really didn't like the tax collectors because oftentimes these tax collectors sold out to the Roman government rejected their Jewish heritage and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the Romans now because I can make a ton more money with them. It was a very interesting thing because, you know, this really separated their culture. They're like, wow, these people are traitors. Matthew in this passage is a traitor to his Jewish heritage. The people probably hated him, and it's a surprise that we see that Jesus goes up to him and says, follow me. And what happens then is Matthew follows him. It's a call to someone who is hated by the community, hated by their Jewish brothers, and, you know, thought of as a cheat. And Jesus says, I see you as someone who can be my disciple. Now, that's kind of crazy to us. <laughs> you know, Jesus saw potential in Matthew, even while he was a tax collector. You know, one time uh, when we went to the mission trip to Arizona, um, I like to tell this story. 
Um, there was a guy on the plane when we were going to the Southern Baptist Convention in Arizona, and he was tattooed all over. I mean, this guy must have been either at the shop every day getting a new tattoo, or you know, they had like a special like thing of ink just for this guy every time because his whole body was tattooed. But I just noticed something about him on the plane. It was very interesting. As he was out talking to people, the people in the row next to him, you know, he's like trying to you know, spark up conversation and be a really nice guy. And I'm sitting here just kind of watching with like two people next to me that don't really want to talk. And I'm like, wow, this guy is really cool. And then I, when we go to the SBC, I see that he's actually a biker church planter. And I was like, no way. <laughs> like, how awesome would it be to have this guy as your pastor, right? He's like tattooed all over and he's a biker church planter. Well, and that makes you think a little bit, wow, somebody saw that guy who was tattooed all over and said, I'm going to share the gospel with that guy. That guy needs Jesus just as much as I do. And obviously he got saved and became a church planner. Who knows the potential that was in that guy that could have easily been overlooked by his outward appearance, maybe his outward lifestyle. So our application for this, Jesus looking at people's inner worth, looking at Matthew even, is that we, can, we should avoid judging other people by their outside and instead look have the heart of Jesus look at people on the inside and ask God to show us who they could be someday. One of the biggest things that I took away from NEBC and being in ministry so far that I want to pass on to you guys is the word potential. Potential is, is such a powerful word because you can see someone who people say, you know, that person is way too far gone from God. Or say, man, this person's making a real mess of their life over here. But God can take anyone's life and turn them around. So Jesus, instead of being like the ritualistic Pharisees who may have just you know, shunned this guy, uh, called him a traitor to the community, and never wanted anything with him, he walks straight up to him, and he says, follow me. What happens next? In verse 10, it says, Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. So he goes over to Matthew's house. He's actually going to hang out with him, you know, and uh, spend some time with him. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Not only is he with Matthew, but Matthew's friends start to gather around too. And, you know, these people that were the, the ones that everybody hated, you know, that were maybe really spaced away from Jesus, they're coming in close to maybe hear what he has to say to them. So he takes the time to spend time with them. But then what happens after that? They're dining with, uh, the, with Jesus and the disciples, and then the Pharisees see this in verse 11. When they saw this, they said to the disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Ooh, right there, that's kind of a, that's kind of a real judgment uh, right there upon the people that Jesus is dining with, and also Jesus. You know, you see that the Pharisees were too scared to go right up to Jesus' face. That's what I think is interesting here, is he goes to the disciples and says, why is your teacher eating with these people? You know, they, it's like these people are tax collectors, they're disgusting, and they're sinners. And this guy who's supposed to be a good example to you guys is going around eating meals with these kind of people. The second thing, second point of three, is that Jesus loved lost people even when it was 
a little bit risky for his reputation. Now, don't take that to mean something that it doesn't mean. That doesn't mean go out to, to bars and go get drinks with people and do the same things that they do so you can be around those kind of people. No, that is bad for your reputation. <laughs> Jesus never went to these parties and started you know, getting drunk with people or doing drugs with people or anything like that. You know, he was going to these places where these kind of lost people were found so that he would have an opportunity to minister to them. But on the outside, uh, to the very legalistic, the very ritualistic, you know, kind of routine Jewish leaders, this looked like something pretty bad. And they were saying, man, I can't believe that this guy who's supposed to be an example is out there with these kind of people. But one thing to think about is if Jesus didn't go to Matthew, if Jesus didn't go to his tax collector friends and have dinner with them, who would have? That's kind of a, a question that we have to wrestle with every day is, you know, there's people that maybe a lot of other Christians are too scared to go out and reach. Maybe there's people like the tattooed a biker church planter that maybe some of us would be way too scared to go and talk to. But the thing is that these people don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. The reason that they act the way that they do is because they are who they are. They're people who don't know Jesus yet. The big thing to understand, though, is that there's nothing that separates us from unbelievers other than that, believing the gospel. That's what it takes. You know, the Bible never says, all right, we are to be these perfect people, and then that makes us Christians, right? <laughs> We're not supposed to cuss at all in any way, and that makes us Christians. We're not supposed to go out to parties. That makes us Christians. So therefore, everyone who does go and do all of these sinful things can never be a Christian. We look back in our own lives and we say, was I always perfect? Am I perfect right now? Oh, no. The answer to both of those questions is no. Jesus had to meet people where they were at. And personally, I'm thankful that he met me where I was at. And I don't know about you guys, but I hope that you're thankful for him willing to step into our own lives and love us where we were at. So uh, the interesting thing here is Jesus then begins to hear what these people are are talking about him and saying about him. In verse 12, Jesus hears this and he says, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. My last of the three points is that Jesus always pointed people to their deeper need. Again, he focused on people's inner potential, not just what showed up on the outside, he loved lost people, even when it might have been risky for his reputation. But then lastly, he always pointed those people to their deeper need. He always made the point to show them that, you know, this is where you're at right now in your uh, spirituality, your relationship with God, and I'm going to help you get to where you need to be. And I hope that that's kind of the anthem of our lives, is that, that we spend time with people that need Jesus but we don't just leave them there, <laughs> that we point them to their need of Jesus and that we say, hey, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, just as he died for my sins. I'm not better than you in any other way, but the, the real problem here is that 
there's the wrath of God coming, and it's like it's like water coming up uh, that's been dammed up for a long time, and it's finally going to be poured out on everybody's sins, and everyone will one day be judged for all the ways that we've disobeyed God. And their good news here, though, is that Jesus died on the cross for you, took all that sin and all the wrath that you deserve upon himself so that you can be saved, that he was a substitute for you, and that now you can accept his forgiveness and you can be saved from the coming wrath. <laughs> We're kind of like Noah a little bit, you know? Not Noah Vidim over here in the back. <laughs> but we're like Noah. We're people that are uh, trying to spare people from the coming wrath, saying, guys, come on, get on the boat. Get on the boat. The flood is coming someday. Because one day, we don't know when it is, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back, and he's finally going to have justice, and he's going to have punishment. You know, the final wrath being poured out on those who aren't covered by the blood of Jesus. That means our friends, that means our family, that means the people that we work with. It means that our life isn't just about spending time with people to make good friendships. It's about going right to their needs. And so Jesus was doing that right here. He was saying in verse 12 that it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. He was being a physician to these people. He was recognizing that they had a problem and he was going there to help heal them. And so he saw both groups of people had needs, though. That was interesting. In verse 13, he talks to the Pharisees, and he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus wasn't just there to point out the needs of the tax collectors who were with him, the tax collectors and sinners, but also these Pharisees who had something fundamentally wrong with their faith. He points them back to Hosea 6, 6, and he says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Going back to my first uh, thing I talked about, being very routine here at NEBC, is that when we're stuck in the routine of doing the same thing every day, we can often forget why we're here. And uh, that's a danger that all of us face no matter what we do, whether that's in ministry, um, maybe you're the leader of a business someday, or just being a student here, that when you do the same thing over and over again, it starts to lose its value. And so what, these, what Jesus is saying here is, you guys have been so consumed with sacrificing all the time. It's always been about being the best sacrificer, being the best tither, being the guy who's you know, always there for other people and just trying to make himself look better. But he's saying, you miss one big thing, is compassion. Compassion goes a long way. And when these people were stuck in this ritualistic religion for so long, they lost all compassion for the lost people. It, it went from being, guys, we all need God, we're all sinners, to, guys, we have God, and those people over there are sinners. Those people over there need God. We, we already have him, so you know everything that happens over here is for people that that don't have him yet. We're already perfect. They're the ones that need the physician. <laughs> and that's taking a different stance on what Jesus is saying, right? It's saying, 
everyone needs the physician. And he's even talking to the Pharisees in this because they have a need as well. So one thing uh, that, we can, uh, that we can focus on here is that we can ask God to help us see the deeper needs of others and the deeper needs of ourselves as, as well, too, because we're not perfect. <laughs> we struggle just as much as everyone else, but thank God we have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous, who stands in our place and who is ever pleading for us before the Father, who we can confess our sins to and say, God, I messed up. I sinned against you. Can you please forgive me? And end of story. God forgives us right there. <laughs> but we have priority with people who don't have that yet, people who aren't saved yet. So don't let our own perfection or our own view of ourselves get in the way of ministering to people who don't have salvation yet. That's the most important thing we can think of. You know, so going back through here, <laughs> Jesus looked at people's inner worth, not just their outer lights, their outer lifestyle. Jesus loved lost people, even when it was risky for his reputation sometimes. And Jesus also pointed people to their deeper need. I hope we see the heart of Jesus in this passage. Like guys, I hope, my hope for you and also for myself is that we don't get so caught up in our routines of homework all the time, our routines of work and our schedules that, that we start to lose our compassion for other people. That's exactly what Jesus is addressing here is that they lost compassion. So guys, <laughs> the greatest thing that I can encourage you after looking back at my time on NEBC is spend time with God. Spend time with him in the morning or whenever you can possibly get God's word in you. Let him change you. Help him to ask him to help you have his heart and compassion for people. Because one thing that you'll realize later on in life, and some of you have already been there and I'm just catching up to you, is that life is really about people. It really is. You know, you can make a lot of money one day. You can get a lot of really cool things. Uh, you can do and go a lot of, you can go to a lot of cool places. But in the end, what matters is the people that we share the gospel with, the people that know God. That, that's the end goal here is that we know God and that we help other people to know God too. So uh, my prayer for you guys and the challenge for, for all of us is <laughs> help us, God, <laughs> please not to get into the same routine over and over where we lose sight of what matters most, that we make disciples, that we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that we teach others how to obey Jesus too. So let's pray. <laughs> Uh, dear God, thank you for today. <laughs> thank you so much for your love for Matthew and tax collectors and God, even the lepers and all the other outcasts and God, even those who are <laughs> caught up in, in a routine, ritualistic lifestyle, God, which can, which can be any of us. God, I just pray that you would help us to have your heart and your compassion for lost people. God, that we wouldn't um, isolate ourselves from others, that we wouldn't have judgmental eyes towards anyone, but God, that you would just grow in us your love in our hearts that we may minister to and share the gospel with them. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.